like to welcome you to our first quarter earnings conference call. Joining me today is our CEO and President Mark Hurd and CFO Bob Wayman. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you that this call has been webcast live. The webcast and the first quarter earnings slides presentation, including non-GAAP reconciliation tables, can be accessed on the HP Investor Relations page under company information at hp.com. A replay also will be available shortly after the conclusion of the call for approximately one year. Next is my duty to inform you that the primary purpose of the call is to provide you with information regarding the first quarter. However, some of our statements and responses to your questions may include forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are based on certain assumptions and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties, and actual future results may vary materially. I encourage you to read the risk factors described in the company's annual report on Form 10-K for the fiscal year ended October 31, 2005, as well as subsequent SEC filings after our Form 10-K for an understanding of the factors that may affect the company's businesses and results. I'd also like to point out that earnings, gross margins, operating expenses, and similar items discussed at a company level are sometimes expressed on a non-GAAP basis and therefore have been adjusted to exclude certain items including in-process R&D, amortization of goodwill and purchase intangibles, restructuring charges, and net investment losses. A presentation of GAAP financial information for the present quarter and reconciliation of non-GAAP amounts to GAAP are included in the financial statements accompanying today's earnings release, which is also available on the HP Investor Relations page under company information at hp.com. Finally, and with a view to allowing time for questions from multiple firms, Please refrain from asking multi-part questions or clarifications. With that, I'll turn the call over to Mark. Thanks, Brian. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us. I am uh, pleased with our first quarter results. We delivered solid revenue growth with some of our key businesses coming in ahead of plan, and we controlled costs and expenses and posted strong cash flow from operations. And we're on track with our plans to strengthen our management team, implement our restructuring plan, and reduce our cost structure. And we're refining our sales model and hiring in key areas to take advantage of the opportunities in the market. Financial highlights of the first quarter included revenue growth of 6% year-over-year, or 8% in constant currency. Operating margin expansion in key businesses with personal systems margins of 3.9%. Imaging and printing margins of 14.9%. Enterprise storage and servers margins of 7.7%. And HP services margins of 7.8%, as well as total company margins. Non-GAAP operating profit of 7.5%, up from 6.2% in the prior year period. Non-GAAP EPS growth of 30% year-over-year, and cash flow from operations of $1.8 billion. We also made progress on key initiatives, including the further strengthening of our management team with key hires in sales, services, and software. The extension of our imaging software and storage offerings with the closure of Cytex and Peregrine Acquisitions and the announcement of a definitive agreement to acquire Outer Bay, a leading provider of archiving software for enterprise applications and databases, and the elimination of a further 1,800 positions as part of our restructuring program, as well as the change to our U.S. pension and post-retirement plans. We're pleased that our initiatives are on track and the results are showing up in both the top line and in our margins. However, we know we have more work to do, and we know we can do better. We have growth opportunities to pursue and fund, and we need to remain disciplined in terms of our costs. Turning to the business segments, 
Imaging and printing had a solid quarter with revenue growth of 8% year over year and segment operating profit of $973 million or 14.9% of revenue. Over the past few quarters, we've taken steps to strengthen IPG's position in the market with cost actions aimed at reducing our cost structure to allow us to be more competitive in the market. Targeted pricing actions to drive market share gains in areas of high supplies consumption. New product innovations such as our scalable print technology and targeted acquisitions that extend our leadership in adjacent growth markets. These actions have begun to pay off with supplies growth of 11% in the first quarter and strong IPG profitability. We also continue to see strong momentum in the market with total shipments of 13 million printers in the quarter, growth of 12% over the prior year period. Consumer hardware revenue grew 1% in the quarter with printer unit shipments up 10%, led by 20% growth in all-in-one shipments and strong acceptance of HP scalable print technology. Commercial hardware revenue increased 6% year-over-year with printer unit shipments up 18%, led by color laser shipment growth at 36%, and printer-based MFP unit shipment growth of 40%. HP Indigo digital press volume grew 43% year-over-year. You should expect us to continue to focus on balancing growth and profitability going forward, delivering profitability in the 13 to 15% range, and investing in stall-based growth and hardware and supplies innovation. You'll also see us continue to target investments at the adjacent growth areas such as managed print services and commercial printing, and new and emerging business opportunities as well. We're in the process of building out our sales force to take advantage of these opportunities. Moving out of personal systems, we continue to show a balanced approach to revenue growth and margin improvements. First quarter revenue grew 8% year-over-year to a record $7.4 billion with solid growth across all regions. During the quarter, shipments grew 16% year-over-year with double-digit unit growth in every region, and particular strength in both consumer and commercial notebooks as well as workstations. Over the past few quarters, growth in the market has been fueled by the shift to mobility strength in emerging markets, and consumer. We're pleased to be well positioned to take advantage of this with a strong lineup of consumer and commercial notebooks, a significant exposure and strong competitive position in emerging markets, and a solid relationship with the retail and commercial channel, which is essential for both emerging markets and the consumer business. In the first quarter and on a year-over-year basis, revenue grew 26% in notebooks and 18% in consumer clients. We also continue to post strong growth in emerging markets with unit shipment growth of 68% in India, 62% in Brazil, and 49% in Russia. Segment operating profit was $293 million, or 3.9% of revenue, representing our highest operating margins in many years. Margins continue to benefit from top-line strength, strong momentum in consumer, and improved execution against various operational efforts. We're pleased with the ongoing improvements we're seeing at PSG, and we'll continue to focus on executing well against the operational levers, as well as continuing to reduce the cost structure of the business. However, top line will be seasonally weaker in the second and third quarters, given consumer mix and the traditional European holiday season, so you should expect this to be reflected in PSG margins. Enterprise storage and servers had a solid quarter, with revenue up 5% year-over-year to $4.2 billion, an operating profit of $326 million, or 7.7% of revenue. Within ESS, industry standard server revenue grew 6% over the prior year period and continued strength in server blades, where revenue grew 58%.
Revenue and storage grew 4% with ongoing strength in external arrays for revenue in our high-end XP. And mid-range EVA offerings grew 14% and 28% respectively. Business critical systems revenue increased 1% with integrity server revenue up 94%, offset by declines in PA risk and alpha. We did close the quarter with approximately 7,000 ISV applications ported to HP Integrity, double the number over the prior year period, and we are investing funds and resources to expand this in the year ahead. Over the past few months, we've extended our storage and server offerings with the acquisitions of AppIQ, RLX, and most recently the announcement that we signed a definitive agreement to acquire Outer Bay. We deter we're determined to drive greater success in the enterprise throughout ongoing execution and cost discipline, as well as targeted R&D and acquisitions. We're also hiring key areas and refining our enterprise sales model to ensure we have the right skills in place to take advantage of these market growth opportunities. Revenue and HP services declined 2% year-over-year to $3.8 billion, reflecting the impact of currency and a focus on profitability improvement. HPS reported operating profit of $293 million, or 7.8% of revenue. Within HPS, revenue declined 2% in technology services, 1% in consulting and integration, and managed services uh, as well. Excluding the effects of currency, HPS grew 3% year-over-year. We remain focused on lowering our cost of service delivery to allow us to compete more aggressively in the market. Until then, you should expect to see us remain disciplined in terms of deal signing. This and the impact of currency will challenge HPS top-line growth in fiscal year 06. Turning to software, revenue grew 29% to $304 million, led by growth in OpenView and OpenCall, up 34% and 19% respectively. During the quarter, we strengthened our software offerings with the acquisition of Peregrine, which adds key asset and service management components to the HP OpenView portfolio. Software reported an operating profit of $9 million, or 3% of revenue, representing the second, second consecutive quarter of profitability. Given the model improvements we're making and the cost actions we have in place to further reduce the break-even point of the business, you should begin to see further improvements in software margins in the coming quarters. I'm going to leave my uh, segment comments at that and turn it over to Bob for more on the financials. Bob? Thanks, Mark, and good afternoon, everyone. Before I get into the numbers, I want to briefly touch on a financial reporting item. Each year, as part of our first quarter annual financial review, we make minor changes between the reported segments that reflect organizational shifts between the businesses. Under accounting rules, we're required to report our segment results externally consistent with our internal reporting. As such, any changes that we make to prior period results internally must be reflected in our external results as well. This year, the changes are immaterial in size and primarily reflect revenue shifts at the GBU level beneath the segments. At the segment level, only ESS and software are impacted with quarterly revenue and operating profit fluctuations of no more than $5 million. However, in the interest of complete disclosure, we felt it was appropriate to mention them at the start of this call. A detailed bridge on these changes, including historical data, is available on our investor relations website, as well as furnished on a Form 8K filed with the SEC. I want to be very clear that the changes do not impact HP's previously reported consolidated net revenue, earnings from operations, net earnings, or EPS. So view this as an annual fine-tuning of our financial reporting structure to better align it with business changes. With that, a quick review of the performance of our financial services business. 
Revenue for HPFS during the quarter was $496 million, down 11% year-over-year and 4% sequentially. The revenue decrease reflects lower used equipment sales and declining financing volume, which decreased 10% year-over-year. The volume declines were primarily driven by softness in Asia-Pacific and select European countries. Portfolio assets decreased 2% year-over-year and increased 2% sequentially. Operating margin was 7.7%, down from 8.1% in Q1 of last year and 10.1% in Q4. However, within our guided range of 6 to 8% margin for the business. The risk profile of the existing portfolio and the trend for delinquency rates are in good shape. Going forward, we'll focus on returning the business to appropriate levels of volume and revenue growth while continuing to manage the portfolio for acceptable levels of risk. In order to give you better visibility into HPFS financials, we have provided a supplemental slide in the earnings presentation, which includes depreciation, changing financing receivables, and the net capital expenditures for HPFS. Before getting into the key elements of the P&L, let me remind you that fiscal Q106 results, including cost of sales, operating expenses, operating profit, net income, and EPS, reflect the inclusion of FAS 123R stock-based compensation, while prior period results do not. Also, stock-based compensation is held at the corporate level and not included in segment results. To assist you in comparing results versus prior periods, we have included the quarterly historical EPS trend in the financial tables accompanying the earnings release. This should allow you to view the results as though all stock-based compensation had been included in previously reported results. Non-GAAP EPS was $0.48, cents, including approximately $0.03 cents from stock-based compensation, up from $0.37 cents a year ago, which again excluded stock-based compensation. GAAP EPS for the quarter was $0.42, cents, which included $166 million or $0.06 cents in after-tax adjustments that were not included in our non-GAAP results. The majority of the adjustments relates to the amortization of purchased intangibles. Quick update on restructuring. During the quarter, approximately 1,800 positions were eliminated related to the July announcement, bringing the cumulative total to 6,500. Now to the P&L. Revenue of $22.7 billion for the quarter was up 6% year-over-year and up 8% when adjusted for the effects of currency. On a regional basis, revenue was up 10% in the Americas, 1% in EMEA, and 6% in Asia-Pacific. When adjusted for the effects of currency, Revenue was up 9% in the Americas, 8% in EMEA, and 9% in Asia-Pacific. Gross profit was $5.3 billion for the quarter, or 23.2% of revenue, up from 229 a year ago, and down from 23.5% sequentially. Year-over-year gross margin improvements in ESS, PSG, and software were partially offset by gross margin declines in IPG and HPS. Non-GAAP operating expense totaled $3.6 billion for the quarter, or 15.7% of revenue, down from 16.7% a year ago and 15.9% sequentially. Adjusting for currency effects, expenses were up 2% year-over-year and down 2% sequentially. We will continue to focus on further operating expense improvements while investing in areas to drive future growth. When looking forward, bear in mind that historically operating expenses increase approximately 4 to 5% in 
in constant currency sequentially from Q1 to Q2. In addition, we implemented our annual salary adjustment effective February 1st, which will negatively impact operating expenses and gross margin on a sequential basis. In FY05, similar salary adjustments were implemented effective May 1st. The change in timing this year was made to more closely align merit-based salary increases with the end of our fiscal year. Non-GAAP operating profit was $1.7 billion, or 7.5% of revenue, up $369 million year-over-year, and down slightly sequentially, despite the inclusion of approximately $140 million of stock-based compensation in the current period. Non-GAAP OINE was pre-tax income of $38 million, or roughly $0.01 cent per share after tax, below the $0.03 cents per share we had estimated coming into the quarter. The decrease reflects currency losses during the quarter, following significant currency gains in each of the last two quarters, and losses on non-operational property sales. As I indicated last quarter, currency dynamics within OIE and one-time items such as land and building sales are difficult to predict. However, given projected cash and debt levels and our expectations for currency, we are reducing our estimate for OIE to about two cents per share per quarter for the remainder of FY06. We will call out deviations from this baseline if and when they occur. Our non-GAAP tax rate was 20% for the quarter in line with our guidance. Next, the balance sheet. HP owned inventory came in at $6.7 billion, down $389 million year over year and $146 million sequentially. Inventory days of supply stands at 35 days, down from 39 days last year and flat sequentially. Overall, we continue to make good progress in inventory management across each of the businesses. With regard to channel inventory, we ended the quarter in good shape across the board with ESS and IPG at roughly five weeks and PSG at four weeks. Further, IPG channel inventory dollars were down year over year and ESS dollars were flat. PSG dollars were up slightly, reflecting increased revenue, and PSG channel inventory weeks were down both sequentially and year over year. Trade receivables ended the quarter at $8.7 billion, flat year-over-year year and down $1.2 billion sequentially in line with normal seasonality. As a percentage of revenue, trade receivables were 9.9%, down from 10.6% year-over-year and from 11.4% sequentially. DSO stands at 34 days, down from 36 days last year and 39 days sequentially. Trade receivables are in good shape, particularly given revenue performance for the quarter. Next. Property plant and equipment was down $344 million year over year and $105 million sequentially to $6.3 billion. Growth CapEx was $427 million, down 26% year over year and 18% sequentially. On a net basis, CapEx was $322 million, down 23% year over year and 28% sequentially. Financing assets accounted for a significant portion of CapEx during the quarter. Net PP&E as a percentage of revenue now stands at 7.2%, down from 8.2% year-over-year and 7.4% sequentially. Despite the low level of CapEx in Q1, our full-year capital expenditure guidance remains unchanged, and we expect total CapEx of $2.8 billion and net CapEx of $2.2 billion in FY06. Regarding accounts payable, days payable closed the quarter at 46 days, up from 45 days year-over-year, 
and down from 52 days sequentially. Next, some comments on cash. Cash flow from operations was $1.8 billion for the quarter, despite significant bonus payments and approximately $162 million in payments related to our restructuring activities. Free cash flow, that is operating cash flow less net capex, was $1.5 billion, up 34% over last year. During the quarter, we repurchased $1.4 billion in stock and paid $227 million for our normal quarterly dividend. In addition to our normal open market share repurchases, we entered into a prepaid variable share repurchase program with an investment bank during the quarter. Under the terms of the program, we prepaid $1.7 billion in exchange for the right to receive a variable number of shares of our common stock over an approximate one-year term of the transaction. The price at which we purchase the shares are subject to a minimum and a maximum as determined under the terms of the agreement, thereby effectively hedging our repurchase price. For modeling purposes, it's important to understand that the actual number of shares purchased will be determined over the course of the program and that the shares will only come out of our share count periodically over the life of the agreement as repurchase transactions are settled. Given the level of share repurchases and the prepayment transaction entered into during the quarter, our board of directors has authorized an additional $4.0 billion for share repurchases, and total remaining authorization is just over that amount. We closed the quarter with total gross cash of $12.0 billion, down from $13.6 billion year-over-year and $13.9 billion sequential. The decrease in cash balance primarily reflects the prepayment and repurchases of common stock, as well as $653 million in net cash payments for acquisition, bonus payments, and restructuring payments. Our weighted average shares outstanding declined slightly from Q4 to $2.893 million. Going forward, I expect weighted average shares outstanding to remain at approximately $2.9 billion, with the potential for some variation quarter to quarter. This expectation takes into account our continuing share repurchase activities, HP stock price, and our current expectations for option exercise pattern and common stock equivalents. Now a few comments on our outlook. On a constant currency basis, revenue typically decreases up to 1% from Q1 to Q2. Now in recent years, we have benefited from currency movements sequentially from Q1 to Q2, which more than offset typical constant currency decreases. Assuming exchange rates stay roughly where they are today, we expect revenue to decline for normal seasonal patterns. As such, we expect revenue of 22.4 to 22.6 billion in Q206, or year-over-year -year constant currency growth of 6 to 8%. For the full year FY06, we expect <clears throat> we continue to expect an adverse currency impact of approximately 2 to 3% and now expect revenue of $90 billion to $91 billion. Regarding earnings, there are several factors to consider. Our results this quarter reflected balanced performance across our portfolio, and we were ahead of plan in certain businesses. In addition, we will continue to execute on our restructuring plan throughout FY06. Offsetting these factors, as previously mentioned, operating expenses typically increase sequentially, and we will see the impact of the annual salary adjustment in Q2. Mark noted that we will continue to fund investments to drive long-term growth initiatives. Further, we are now expecting roughly $0.02 cents per share in OI&E versus previous guidance of $0.03 cents per quarter. 
With that in mind, we now expect Q206 non-GAAP EPS of 47 cents to 49 cents, which includes approximately 3 to 4 cents of stock-based compensation. For FY06, we expect non-GAAP EPS of $1.90 to $1.95, which includes approximately 13 cents of stock-based compensation. And while we're not going to give Q3 and Q4 guidance today, let me remind you that Q3, as you know, is always a tough quarter for us. Our mix includes a significant portion of revenue from Europe as well as consumer, both of which are seasonally weak in the third quarter. As you build your models for the rest of the year, keep in mind that this seasonality adversely impacts both revenue and earnings in Q3. And with that, we'll move on to your questions. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wish to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to withdraw your question, please press star followed by two. Please press star one now to begin. Your first question comes from the line of Harry Blunt with Lehman Brothers. Thanks, guys. Uh, Mark, uh, principal question I uh, get from investors uh, typically is focused on how HP is going to continue to drive the margin improvement, excluding uh, the cost-cutting that's going on there. And I know you have a number of initiatives underway, so I was hoping you could maybe uh, talk about uh, some of the progress you're making and where you uh, feel real good about the prospects going forward. Well, I mean, I think for us, a lot of it's about mix, Harry. I mean, for us, uh, you know, how we deal with mix both across the company as well as within the product lines and the attached uh, themselves are, are, are really big deals to us, Harry, as you know. So, you know, we're putting a lot of energy in the places that we think have significant uh, margin opportunity for us uh, across the company, but also within the context of businesses like PSG and ISS, where we can bring with that other things that attract more margin, either in a patch of options or other uh, opportunities that, 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 that bring more services and other products with them. Uh, secondly, there's also a significant number of other operational levers that we can pull as it relates to our supply chains, it relates to warranty, relates to contra revenue, that is also a big part of our portfolio and how we incent um, and, and align our channel partners uh, and how those relate to the various factors that I just uh, described. So uh, it's, it's mixed within the company. Software and services obviously play a key mix in that. Mixed within the product line, aligning to attach. Supply chain levers like what I described all around cost of goods sold, warranty, et cetera. It's the mix within Contra, et cetera. So I, there are a fair amount to us to go. But, Harry, I would also just caution that we're – We've got a lot of work to do here. So, I mean, they're, 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 both in the context of there's a lot of opportunity, but there also is a lot of, uh, uh, of work for us to do at the same time. Thanks, Harry. Next question, please, operator. Your next question is from Richard Farmer with Merrill Lynch. Thanks, uh, Mark. I think, uh, or maybe it was Bob that mentioned uh, you're a little bit ahead of plan in a few uh, of the segments in the restructuring. And, you know, we've seen now operating margins already at the high end of the long-term target range in uh, IPG, PSG, and, and DSS. Um, you know, can you, can you help us quantify, I guess, how far you are along in capturing the restructuring savings uh, into the P&L and, and how much uh, there is left uh, going forward to uh, be realized? No more than what we said, I think, uh, Richard. Uh, I. You were, you were really faint in your question, but I think I got the spirit of it. I would say we're roughly on track with our restructuring activities. 
Um, you know, as we said before, it would be a six. Uh, quarter kind of process that certainly takes into consideration that we have some regions and some geographies that are frankly just a little bit more difficult uh, to get through. Now, I would also add to you, though, we have chosen to tackle those as opposed to not tackle them. So we knew going in they'd be hard work and they've proven to be all of that, but we're going to go get it done and uh, it's going to take us time to get uh, all of that accomplished, but within the context of what we had originally described, and I think the schedule that we gave you earlier is roughly the right schedule. So in terms of us coming out with new operating margin uh, parameters for 07, that's that's not where we are today. Um, where we are is in the ranges that, that, that we described, and I think uh, the answer to your question on restructuring is, is on track. And Richard, Richard, just to clarify, um, my comments about a couple of businesses being ahead of plan was not specifically related to restructuring. It was just in, in the quarter. Uh, they performed uh, a little better than we had assumed going into the quarter. Thanks, Richard. Next question, please. Your next question comes from Sakanagi with Sanford Bernstein. Uh, yes, thank you. I just have a, a question about uh, currency and how you're factoring that into your guidance. I think the center point of your revenue guidance year over year uh, is 4.3% revenue growth. Uh, Bob, you said 6 to 8% growth at constant currency. So are you expecting a minus 2 to minus 4% hit year over year in currency in Q2? And then second, and then related to that, what was your expectation for year over year currency impact for uh, Q1? We know it came in at minus 2%. Uh, percent. Um, can you tell us what your expectation was at the beginning of the quarter? Hang on just, just a moment, Tony. Um, I think the six to eight percent you're referring to was a Q2 number. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was. Uh, so the full year, uh, yes, we still believe two to three percent. Uh, you may recall in December when we talked to you, we were talking about a couple of percent full year um, full year currency uh, impact. Yeah, uh, Brian is just confirming here the the. Uh, the uh, the, the uh, six to eight percent was indeed a, a Q2 number, right? But the but the midpoint of your Q2 guidance, as reported, is for 4.3 percent revenue growth. So the implication is, for Q2, you're expecting a negative year-over-year currency hit of minus two to minus four percent. That's I correct. I just want to confirm that. That that is correct. And then, what was your expected currency impact for Q1? Because if anything, year-over-year Q1 looks about as hard as any other quarter and you're expecting two to three for the year, what was your expectation for Q1 at the beginning of the quarter? It was in the two to three range. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. Next question, please. Your next question is from Laura Canigliaro with Goldman Sachs. Yes, thank you. It, this is kind of a, a continuation of a couple of other questions that were asked, but it really is uh, just getting a little more specific on it, and that is, um, can you give us a sense, uh, maybe in percentage terms or otherwise, how much of the just-reported quarter earnings um, actually came from restructuring and also how much of your targeted FY06 earnings uh, you actually look to come from restructuring? And then um, maybe a somewhat better explanation, if you could, on um, what happened as far as the enterprise group. That is, despite an easy compare, you had weak storage revenue growth and also decelerated ISS revenue growth. Um, okay, Laura, lots of questions. Um, let me try to tackle a few of them. I'll let Bob grab a couple of them. Uh, on storage, I think there's a mixed story within storage that 
you know, we want to keep in mind that we had pretty strong growth as it related to EVA and to the XP. So when you looked at our EVA growth uh, in the quarter of 28%, and when you looked at our growth of 14% in the XP, I think if you go look at that against the market, you're going to find those are pretty strong growth rates uh, overall. So I think that's an encouraging part of the story. I think in the tape part of our business, we've had, um, you know, flattish kind of performance uh, overall. Now, that that's really a mixed story within storage. So I would say our storage growth uh, on the non-tape products was very strong in the quarter, and, and uh, we're encouraged by that. Uh, on the ISS side, you know, it's it's a it's it's it depends which way you want to look at the story. Um, you know, clearly six percent growth. Um, um, you've got to look at it also in the context of the overall performance of the business. You see it at the ESS level, and and I would tell you the business has been very strong in terms of its ability to attract, attach, and its ability to improve uh, on the margin line. So uh, when you look at it overall, I, I'd say it's a fairly balanced story across ISS. Um, I'll, I'll, yeah, let me uh, let me try on restructuring. So, uh, as I indicated, 6,500 uh, people have left under the uh, restructuring program. Uh, so that's you know um, 30 to 40 40-ish percent of uh, of the total that we expect. Uh, so there's still um, you know more labor cost reductions that we will expect going forward. Uh, another big part of our uh, announcement back in July was the changes to the U.S. Uh, retirement and retiree medical plans, and that is largely reflected in Q1. So that is almost 100% uh, already reflected in the Q1 and will be fully reflected in Q2 and beyond. So uh, you know, that part of it uh, we, we've, we've captured already. Thank you. Question, please, operator. Your next question is from Richard Chu with SG Cohen and Company. Yeah, thank you very much. I, I uh, note that your supplies revenue growth in ITG was 11% easily the best in uh, many quarters. I wonder if you could uh, give us some uh, some sense of how that was achieved, how transient or sustainable that level of expansion is, and any difference that you can describe between the the consumer and commercial businesses or or uh, inkjet and laserjet businesses. Thank you. Well, um, I think, again, there isn't a lot of, um, I guess the best way I can describe it is, you know, we, we've tried to let the printer business uh, and the IPG organization go out to the marketplace and make some moves that uh, we think are appropriate relative to our opportunity to go scale the business. So, um I think when you go look at our unit growth, it's it's a fairly clear story. I mean, we're sitting here in Q2 of, of 12% growth. We had kind of 9 to 10% unit growth in, in Q3, and then we followed that up with 8% in Q4 and 12% here. And what we've tried to do is really target our actions at high consumption segments that, that, that we think relate to, your point, a, uh, a supplies growth opportunity in the future, and, and I think that's really what's happened. Um, I think to your point, is it sustainable? Well, we're going to have to continue to do the work that we've been doing, so I think that's kind of one dimension of it because I think if you can see by previous quarters back, if you go a couple years back, there is a fairly strong interrelationship between what happens on units and the segments that the unit growth comes out, uh, out from and what happens with supplies growth uh, going forward. So I think that's one dimension of it, uh, Richard. I think in addition to it, you are going to see us make some investments, uh, particularly in 
in, in our demand creation model uh, to put more effort into creating demand, uh, particularly in the commercial printing space and in the enterprise, where we think we've got a very strong technology position, but we have to go make some level of investment to be able to go pursue the opportunity. So I, I, I tried to answer as many of your questions as I could uh, with that, but I think you know we feel good about the improvement of the business. I still think you should model uh, a four percent, four to six percent revenue growth for the business that'll behave within a range of thirteen to fifteen percent operating performance, and we think those are appropriate ranges to be modeling as we go forward. And I do mean thirteen percent to fifteen percent in the model that that, that we're describing. Richard, just uh, on on supplies itself, uh, uh, we we saw improved growth rate on both inkjet and laser supplies. So it's it's not just one. Uh, and as you see in the uh, information pack that we put out there, we're seeing uh, good unit growth in both uh, commercial and consumer space. Thanks very much. Next question, please. Your next question comes from Ben Reitzies with UBS. Yeah, good afternoon. Thanks. Um, Mark, you have an interesting uh, uh, problem that you're already at the lower end of your 2007 operating margin target at 7.5%. Um, with only, I'm going to take another tack at this, but uh, with only 40% of your restructuring done, how can we not assume that that 7.5% to 8% for 07 is a very conservative forecast? And sorry to push on this, but it seems like the key question. Well, Ben, it's fine to push on it. Um, I, I, I understand the math um, and uh, appreciate it. I think for us, we've got a number of things to go do at the same time. Um, you know, we clearly are adjusting adjusting our cost trajectory, to your point, and we have more work to do to get that trajectory to where we want to go, to Bob's point about how much work is left in our restructuring. At the same time, I'd like to emphasize that we are trying to adjust our demand creation model, which means for us that there are some targeted areas where we will spend more money. You know, I, I, I go by the theory, you don't go spend a lot of money to create a product to purposely under-distribute it. So we actually have a theory that we'd like to be able to get into the marketplace and participate in a bigger part of the market, which causes us to make some investments. So I think when you go look overall um, for us, we will be taking more cost out, to your point. But we will take some portion of that, as we described way back in the restructuring. And I think you just have to deal with some of the timing of this as we optimize the mix uh, going, uh, going forward. And I certainly think a long run, this is very much in the best interest of HP, but we do have some investments to make as we do take some of this cost out. As it relates to some of the short-term issues, I think you have to deal with some of the seasonality benefits in certain businesses that exist in Q1. We have some mixed shifts that are going to go on within the businesses and, and the demand generation that I've described. So I think there are a number of stories here. Don't take any of that away from back to the Ben. I'm pleased with 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 the performance of the company in Q1. So I don't want it to come off in any way uh, to be to put a to put a cloud on this. But we just still have a lot of work to do to get the place optimized, and and we know we can long run do better than we're doing. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Next question, please. Your next question is from Richard Gardner with Citigroup. Okay. Thank you. Um, well, nobody's asked the demand question yet, so um, maybe, Mark, you could give us your qualitative assessment of demand uh, for each of the various regions that you're operating in, and, and in particular, um, address some comments from some of the distributors here that um, January was a little bit quiet in terms of demand, and, um, and whether that's something that's concerning to you or something that HP even saw out in the marketplace. 
Thank you. Well, everything concerns me, I mean, to, to be frank with you. But uh, when I look across, you know, our macro demand picture without getting into every geography in the, in the sake of time, Richard, I, I'd say I would call it roughly steady. Um, I can tell you, I could tell you stories by country, and I could tell you Western Europe is a little less exciting than, than, than Eastern Europe. I could tell you that we saw very strong growth in, in, in the emerging markets. China and India were, were, were exceptionally strong, and now we're starting to compare against very, very large comparisons in markets of China. It's no longer emerging. It has emerged, and, and we still have very strong uh, growth rates there. So I, I think steady would be how I describe it. Um, we certainly saw some stories within the story. Now, on the channel side, we finished with, you know, as about as on a macro basis across HP, about as strong a channel inventory position as we have. So when I look at the comparisons by, across product and regions, um, it is a very strong story. Um, so for us, uh, we feel good about that piece of it. Uh, and inventory overall, very strong for the company. So, um, you know, we continue to monitor. Richard, I mean, as things go, um, but I would say that when I net all of that out about emerging countries, this geography, this product segment, channel inventory being very uh, strong for us against the company, the best answer I could give you at this point with the data I have is pretty steady overall from a demand picture. Mark, if, if I could, uh, any comment on the linearity of demand in the quarter, uh, particularly this this idea of, of, you know, some downtick in January? No, no, I mean, not, nothing that I can really drive to you on. I mean, sir, clearly within the quarter you had the holiday season and you had some other factors, but I wouldn't say anything in the quarter that I can, uh, maybe Bob can come, but I, nothing that I would say would give me some dramatic pause to tell you there was some thing in this week or that week or this month that, that I would point to, no. Yeah, pretty pretty normal seasonality within the quarter. Thanks, Richard. All right, thank you. Your next question comes from Andy McCullough with Credit Suisse. Uh, thanks. Uh, Mark, question on the software side. Uh, the acquisition strategy here recently has been geared to the, the smaller type companies. I guess what's your, what's your appetite for doing um, something a little bit bigger on the software side, and where are you with respect to, uh, to hiring a new head of software? Okay, so we, um, we did hire a new head of software. We announced that uh, um, oh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, he actually starts uh, next week, so um, it will be his first day on the job. So we have hired the new head of software. His name is Tom Hogan. Uh, we think he's a, a, a great addition to HP's management team, and we're really encouraged by that. Um, in terms of acquisitions, um, our stra- I, I think if you've seen what we've done, uh, what we've done is really to acquire uh, companies that had very strong technology that would further enhance our portfolio that we also thought were manageable operationally and, and things that could work within the context of, of, of improving our business. So, you know, that's what we've done. And, um, you know, I think that's uh, um, the right strategy for HP. Thanks, Andy. Next question, please. Your next question is from Keith Bachman with Bank of America Securities. Hey, guys. On the services side, uh, obviously, Mark, a little bit of degradation there in the growth rate, and you alluded to the fact that the growth would, I can't remember the word, but be compressed or something going forward. Could you just talk a little bit about um, what you're doing there um, that would uh, detract from the growth rate? And given the growth rate, I was also a little surprised that, that margins weren't bumped up a little bit more. Could you just talk about the tension between what you hope to accomplish by compressing the growth rate and then 
the implications to margins, please? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that, that there's a couple stories within there, uh, Keith, to be, to be very blunt with you. First, uh, we, we knew going in we were going to compress the growth rate, so that was purposeful. Um, there clearly are deals in the marketplace, but, but we've got to make sure our discipline is right in terms of the deals that we go after and that we go after deals that not only we can make money on, but that we can deliver appropriately to the customer. And we're doing that. And I think it's a very big hallmark of HP that we execute on deals, but we have to make sure that we execute for the customer at the same time as we have a transaction that we can make money from. So we've put a lot of pressure on the way we look at deals and the discipline, the way we look at deals, the way we look at cost, et cetera, et cetera. And we've actually walked away from deals, to be very blunt with you, that says we're either going to get out of the deal that we're already in, provided we can do that within the context of a great relationship with the customer going forward, um, and make sure we don't bid on things that don't make sense for us long run. Secondly, though, we are working very hard on cost, and uh, we have been successful, and I expect us to be conti- to continue to be successful in changing the cost trajectory in, in HP services as well. I would remind you that we are having to add into HP services the bonuses that, that we pay, and the reason we do that is because it's an appropriate part of the cost structure that exists in that business as well. So there actually is cost coming out. Um, as we do it. So I think you should expect for the short term that trajectory to continue with our belief that in the long term, the better cost position that we have and the better discipline and the better alignment we have in terms of our service delivery methodology, which we're investing and standardizing in, positions us very well to grow the business long run. So we still think when you net it out, overall 4 to 6% revenue growth rates, the ability to drive operating margins in, in the 8 to 10% range is the appropriate destination for the business. Thank you, Keith. Next question, please. Your next question is from Bill Shope with J.P. Morgan. Okay, great. Thanks. Can you uh, give us some commentary on the pricing environment in the enterprise segment? Um, we've seen some evidence of unusually aggressive pricing in servers, uh, particularly in January. Did you see that? And overall, looking at the enterprise hardware segment, are you, are you having to walk away from some of the big deals to, to put up this uh, very strong profitability you've been putting up? I always get a kick out of it, Bill, when it says unusually aggressive. I can't remember when it wasn't unusually aggressive. I mean, it, it just, it's just it's a it's a competitive marketplace, but I can't say that I saw anything in January or December or any time during the quarter that I would describe as as um, different from what we've normally seen. So uh, if 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 I had a data point, you know, if I had enough data to tell you that, I, I, I would. I just I haven't seen. I do think the pricing in the marketplace is aggressive. And I would expect it to continue to be to be aggressive, and that you know speaks to the fact that we've got to make sure that we're doing our job in terms of cost and so forth. But nothing that I can point to. Next question, please. Your next question comes from Shannon Cross with Cross Research. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, just a question in terms of the commodity environment. What are you seeing in terms of component pricing? Uh, anything specific we should be watching for? Um, yeah, I'll give you a little color. DRAM prices uh, were, were up a bit in, in Q1. Um, we expect some stabilization through um, Q2, and hopefully that will balance out as we look at the back half of the year. Um, processor supply is now finally normalized. So we've, we I know we had some issues you know, as we went toward the going into Q4 that we were concerned about, but supply is as normalized, so that part has, has, has helped. 
the prices on panels have dropped a bit uh, post-holidays, so we expect them to be stable to declining. Um, uh, hard drive supply is, is meeting demand, so you know pricing uh, declines have been a little less than what we've normally seen, but that would be my quick top of the trees view, Shannon. Okay, great. Thank you. Next question, please, operator. Your next question is from Brian Alexander with Raymond James. Uh, thanks. Mark, you've mentioned a couple times on the call contra revenue items. Just wondering if you could just give us a sense of what you're referring to there and, is, and sure. any way you can kind of break out how much the reduction of that is having an impact on top-line growth. Well, it's not just reduction. It really is the how we, do, how we de- deploy it because what, what it is basically is uh, our uh, alignment of discounts, uh, market development funds, promotion dollars, uh, to in most cases to to the channel and the partners, and the real crux of it is how you align those channel compensation dollars to the performance of the channel. So, for example, when you go to the channel and say, "I'm going to give you as my partner a dollar to go create a, a, a some demand or a revenue goal," the question is maybe I should say instead of giving you a dollar for just getting a revenue goal, I'm going to give you 25 cents for the revenue goal. I'm going to give you 25 cents for the mix that you deliver within the revenue, 25% for this and 25% for that, and incent a different kind of behavior from you. And that's what what we mean by the alignment of the contra revenue. Now, I can assure you that we have cases where, you know, we have, have, you know, partners that do what what we wish they wouldn't, but in the end of the day, that's not the bulk of it in terms of saving dollars. The bulk of it really is how we deploy it, how we align it, so that we incent the appropriate behavior out in the marketplace. And the numbers are, are, are significant for us in terms of dollars. And being able to align that to partners, and I, I think I've said before, but I'll say it one more time, we actually have partners that take our brand, which you know is one of the 12, 13 leading brands in the world, lead with our brand and hollow out our product and put in other products and components. That's not nearly as interesting to us as somebody that really puts a full Hewlett Packard solution together, provided that fits for the customer. And we want to incent more of the latter as opposed to the former, and that's what we mean by the realignment of Contra uh, within the uh, within the business. So, hope that helps. Thanks, Brian. Next question, please. Your next question is from Fortuna with Prudential Equity Group. Steve, are you there? Mr. Fortuna, your line is open. Please proceed. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Quick question: Where do you guys stand relative to your efforts to uh, uh, reduce the number of channel partners in Europe? Well, Steve, I can't give you a count. Um, I can tell you that we've been on our new program really since the end of October. Uh, which really focuses more on the alignment of Contra and a partner, what we call a Partner Plus program, which really doesn't have a specific objective, Steve, to reduce partners, but to really align the behavior into this new model that I just described. So I, we don't really keep a metric around reducing the partners, more around how we're incenting partners and align it. So um, sorry I can't give you more data there. Next question, please, operator. Your next question is from Joel Wagenfeld with First Albany. Thanks. A follow-up to the last two questions. Just wondering when we should expect to see real tangible changes uh, in your revised channel strategy in the U.S. Um, in terms of your relationships with your partners and uh, whether you can quantify for that, uh, quantify that for us either in dollars or volume or productivity metrics, um, the types of benefits you're expecting and over what time frame. 
And then related to that, I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on Lenovo and Acer uh, based on Ingram's call last night. It sounds like Lenovo is likely to expand uh, beyond the ThinkPad here relatively soon, and I'd imagine it's only a matter of time for Acer as well. Um, any thoughts in terms of, of how you might deal with that? Thanks. So in terms of the dollars and metrics, uh, Joel, I'm not going to go there. Our work in the U.S. is ongoing, so you should. Uh, we started this year with work in the U.S., and um, you know we, we you should expect us to continue that work. And and I believe overall it is going well. Like any time you change things, though, you have um, different different issues that you have to deal with. I won't go into metrics around it, but it really is again. Back to one of the earlier questions about within our margin mix, getting our alignment with our partners and getting our incentives lined up is is a big piece of our uh, uh, our opportunity to 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 improve the company. We'll take two more questions, please, operator. Your next question comes from Andrew Ming with Bear Stearns. Sure, just uh, two things, if I could. Just one is um, you're, you're quoted on uh, the tape saying something about considering some uh, acquisitions and storage. I wonder if you could just sort of collapse. Um, clarify what you mean there. And secondly, if you just talk about you've done a number of hires over the course of the past year, how, how are you meshing them into the um, HP culture, and what, what are they bringing to, the, uh, to HP that you couldn't get internally? Yeah, uh, thanks, Andy. Um, you know, first, I, th- I think in terms of, of storage, I, I, I don't want to predict any, any future acquisitions. Uh, what I really was trying to do was describe what we've done. And I think in, in areas like storage and, and servers and management software, these are, these are really key areas for us, Andy, in terms of filling out our technology capability and, and, and most importantly for us in the intellectual property piece of that, uh, of that area. And so that's what we've been doing and, and um, you know, why it's important to us is to build out our IT, IP capability. At the same time, we want to be you know, dealing with companies that we can integrate into HP appropriately and, and operationally deal with as we do it. So those are really the principles. We've got great technology, things that add to our stack, bring us more intellectual property, and things that we can operationally integrate. Uh, while we do it, and I think that's what you've seen us do. In terms of the management, I mean, it's been important for us to, um, you know, bring capability into the company. And when I look at management teams, I, I, I typically try to map first the skills we need long run to execute the strategy of the company. And then you do want to do an inventory of what you currently have, and you do a gap analysis. And from there, you look to what you can develop from what you've got and what you have to supplement. And so we've done the supplement work that we've that we need to do, and you know, we'll never be the point we don't have to hire outside. But when we mesh uh, as a group, we're meshing around our plan, and and frankly, we're uh, I think we're doing a good job of bringing the team together as a united team behind the achievement of our strategy and the financial plans underneath it. Okay, thanks. thanks very much. Thank you, Andy. Your last question comes from Cindy Shaw with Morrison Cabot. Thanks very much. I'm hearing from the channel that their win rate versus Dell is the best it's been in years, and it's improved a great deal. I was wondering if you could comment on how much you think Hewlett-Packard might be benefiting from that. Well, you know, I think, Cindy, I think, you know, for us it's really important to to, to support these folks. I think that, um, you know, our channel partners, are our real core ones, are putting out a lot of effort, and we're trying to put more renewed energy behind them. And, you know, I'm I'm pleased to hear about their success. So, you know, we're going to put more energy behind these core partners, and you know, we hope that uh, you know, in the end, that that provides uh, opportunity for them as well as us. I mean, certainly, it's important for us in consumer um, as it relates to retail, which we think is a key advantage for us to be able to leverage their capability, skill, and their reach uh, at the same time as in emerging markets. 
uh, we get a real opportunity to get after the commercial marketplace through those partners, and we really want to leverage them uh, in that respect as well. Can you comment oh. if you think that helped the revenue growth in the quarter here? You know, I, I, I probably would tell you that I think that as opposed to helping our revenue growth, I think it just helps, helps our overall performance. The fact that we can leverage the hybrid model gives us reach in a position that we just, you know, otherwise I don't know how we get Cindy because they get us to a series of buyers that we just can't get to directly. So we think there's a real benefit to being able to serve some segments directly and some segments through partners because the reach and the extension they have in some of these emerging markets and in some of these channels, we just can't replicate um, with, 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 with our direct resource. So we think it's a key strategic advantage. Thanks, Cindy. Okay, uh, let me uh, stop there. And, and before wrapping up, I did want to summarize today's call by saying that Overall, I, I am pleased with our execution in the first quarter. We, we, we delivered solid revenue growth. We did grow margins. We reduced our expenses, and we generated solid cash flow from operations. We extended our imaging software and storage offerings with key acquisitions. We did execute against our restructuring program, freeing up capital and resource for targeted investments and growth, and we further strengthened our management team with key hires. Now, we know we have more work to do, but we're encouraged by our progress to date, as evidenced by our second consecutive quarter of raising EPS estimates. And while I'm confident in our ability to meet these targets, we have a lot of work ahead to align our strategy and optimize our growth and cost trajectories. I'll leave my comments at that, and I want to thank you again for uh, joining us on today's call.